Hey there, thank you for stopping by our podcast. You are about to listen to an episode, one of our uh, original episodes of our first, uh, I think, 10 or so, uh, where we were branded under the podcast name, Own Your Business, and we now have changed and we've rebranded as Greer Method Complete Coaching. And really what's cool about this podcast is um, if you listen from the beginning to where we are presently, you'll see the refinement that goes on as an entrepreneur figures out what works and what doesn't and as quickly as they can discards the things that don't and then uh, really drive hard the things that do and that's been my journey um, as the host and as the founder of the company and uh, host of the podcast uh, i've constantly been trying to reevaluate remove what's not working and then uh, really dial up and emphasize what is working so thank you for coming here just know that you might hear some random references to own your business but know that you are in the right place and you are listening to Greer Method, the podcast. Thanks for listening. Please leave a comment, uh, like us, share us. That helps us get our message out and uh, definitely apply what you're learning, what you're listening to uh, in any way that you can, whether it be big or small, to produce better, more meaningful outcomes for yourself. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Own Your Business. I am your host, Jared J. Greer. I'm an executive coach and performance coach, and I work with executives, business owners, and entrepreneurs to help them live at higher levels in all areas of their life. This episode is one of my favorite. I think I probably say this every time. It's one of my favorites. Um, we, we're talking with James Simpson, who's a marriage and family therapist. He's got a master's in counseling from Grand Canyon University. He's got an undergrad from Chapman University in organizational leadership. And so um, this is part one of a two-part interview with James because we just couldn't fit it all into one episode. Uh, it was just that that amazing. But we talk about um, relationships today and how can we have stronger relationships. We're all seeing that there is a higher level of um, anxiety, depression, suicide, lower self-esteem. Um, and so we talk about how how our consumption and the things that we're consuming, how we're spending our time are actually impacting that. James goes into depth about how we can, if our, if our relationship is on the rocks or struggling, how we can start to move out of that and start to improve. He talks about the importance of what he calls dailies, so specific habits that help us get off on the right foot every morning, every day, so that we can have success and really start to build. So this is an amazing interview. You're not going to want to miss this part one and also part two of James Simpson here with us on Own Your Business. I'm excited to to work with you today, James, and learn from you about how we can help people just uh, get more out of their life and specifically their relationships because it's certainly hard to juggle all of it. So looking forward to your insight. Welcome. Thanks for thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. Excited to have this conversation with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know uh, you know people hopefully won't hold this against you, but I know you're a big Laker fan. But I think you're semi excited about the whole LeBron James thing. <laughs> so <laughs> give us a, give us a little bit about yeah. who James Simpson is, and then we'll get into it. But uh, yeah, I grew up in Southern California, grew up playing sports, loved playing sports. Uh, my background, little, you know, uh, kind of a little bit of a difficult situation. Uh, grew up in a home. My, when my mom and dad had married, they separated after a year. Uh, lived with my mom. Uh, she got married to my stepdad. Um, drugs and marriage don't go well together. Uh, so her and my stepdad got divorced um, probably wow. after about five, five or six years of marriage. Uh, they, they had three kids together so I had three younger siblings in that house um, after their divorce things got worse um, uh, obviously with addiction and, and uh, she isolated herself more and more in her room um, closing closing kind of closing everybody else off uh, for that as a kid and, and as a kid seeing that and seeing like drug paraphernalia needles marijuana th- those kind of things uh, it was very difficult I struggled in school homework uh, didn't understand what was going on uh, physically I wasn't, you know, doing well. I, 
I remember I had, uh, I had a lot of cavities in my teeth. I just remember some of these things from, from my childhood, but kind of these, these difficulties. I remember the school coming by and dropping off clothes. So it's kind of a difficult situation. And then I moved to live with my dad uh, when I was 10 years old. Uh, my dad was in the military. He, uh, uh, so he kind of straightened things out you know, for me and, 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 and raised a bar of expectation for me in my life of what to strive for. So I went from failing in my school to you know getting a 3.0 GPA average and uh, he supported me in my you know playing sports and was uh, always there for my games uh, he had married my my stepmom at the time and she was a, a fantastic influence she tried she, she did all she could to to make a connection no matter how hard I tried to hate her yeah. <laughs> or or just like her because she you know she took away my time with my dad yeah. Um, kind of deal but she loved and and uh earned my love and uh started calling her you know i called her mom I told her i want to start calling her mom by the by the time i was about 14 after four wow. years wow. so um and, and there was difficulties there too as well with with you know with my sure. mom and dad kind of kind of situations and stuff i mean we all we grew up in families and and we all have uh you know these have hard times you know relationships have hard times um no i mean certainly relationships are complex anyways um, and I know you know a little bit of the premise of the show, but you know I think in my career I've seen it too often where someone has put all their eggs in their career basket or in their business basket, and they haven't spent that time in their relationship. And it, it, sometimes it goes the other way too. Sometimes we see people putting all of their eggs in the relationship basket, and they they don't do what they need to for their health or their career. And so I don't mean to only say you know people are so focused on their business that they that they don't take care of their relationships. But, you know, the idea is that we can be balanced. So what is, is, is your background, what led you to, you know, becoming a therapist and becoming a counselor? Or was there some other, something else driving you? I think it's just something that's always drawn me towards uh, wanting to work with people, helping them uh, grow, helping them achieve, helping them enjoy life more. Um, having, you know, difficulties early on in your life and then seeing what joy can be like in, in healthier relationships um, with good direction. So I have always felt drawn to people in their lives and, and uh, what would help them feel healthier, happier. And uh, so I've just had a joy to bring that. And I didn't really know what, what I didn't, it wasn't an idea or a thought. I didn't know what to do. It was just like maybe become a teacher or a coach because I like basketball. I don't, didn't really have any uh, understanding of it. It was actually when I was uh, uh, in, uh, working at University of Phoenix, I, I came across a counseling program and I thought, oh, wow, I could, could actually work with people and help them improve. And I, and I, love, the, I love the Anthony Robbins, the Jim Rohns, you know, this, uh, the self-improvement um, books and so forth. And so I saw that as, a, as an avenue to where I can um, learn and, and be credentialed, so to say, or certified by you know board or whoever in the state to to work with individuals and, and help them in their lives and so that's where i'm at and and, that, and now at this place where i'm at i feel the most content and complete of what i do yeah. like it's the right place for me so and right now you're working with primarily couples you're working with some teens but primarily you work with you know couples right yeah i would say it's probably 50 50 um okay. with couples and working with teens and, and and parenting i mean when i'm when i'm working with teens i'm working with parents um, on, on how, how they can help work with their teens and help their teens if they're having struggling with any you know, form of addiction uh, or if they're struggling with pornography or uh, uh, anxiety, depression issue, which we're seeing a lot of, obviously, in our society. I mean, we, um, we're, we're, we, see the, we see the news and the uh, suicide rates with teens uh, going up and, and uh, the screen time. And so all those things that are playing factors into, yeah. into our issues with our youth right now. But yeah, so I spend time with them and then, and then couples work. I do couples work as, as far as in their marriage or, um, or relationships, you know, if they're, they're not married yet, but, but dating and so forth. Uh, do work with a lot of work too in betrayal trauma in relationships, um, hmm. uh, whether it's emotional affairs, infidelity, uh, addictions that lead to dishonesty and hiding and, how do we mend those? And those are, that's a very, you know, it's not an easy thing to, uh, to do. So yeah, those are some areas that I, that I work in. So let's, let's kind of jump into it because I know, you know, I think it's a well thrown around statistic that 50% of marriages end in divorce. You know, you alluded to the fact that 
um, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, they're at all time highs. It appears, you know, suicide rates are going up. It, it clearly from a mental health perspective, it, it appears at least things are getting worse. So tell us what kind of trends or are, are there, what are the kind of the big three things that you're seeing that are maybe contributing to, to those types of trends? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, generally overall, like, you know, I think we're a society of consumption, um, whether we're consuming, uh, food or sugar or, uh, screen time, social media, um, or sports and entertainment. Um, we're, we're very much a, a society of consumption is what I see. Um, and I think one of the areas that we really need to get better at or back to, or more engaged in is being uh, consumption of relationships. Um, having more time, quality time with our, with our loved ones, with our spouses, with our children, with our, with our neighbors, you know, just getting to know our neighbors. I think there's such a huge, huge disconnect, even within our own communities of our own neighborhoods that we don't really know the people around us. And there's an opportunity to really build a lot of uh, strength in community, strength in relationships, uh, improving self-esteem, improving resiliency through the relationships that we have to know that our neighbors have our back or we're taking care of each other just like we would within our own families and with our own children. And I think because there's such a consumption in all the areas of distraction, such as uh, social media, screen time, entertainment, um, and there's not really much of a struggle that we kind of experience. Like we, you know, if you need food, you can get it. If you need, you know, uh, clothes, it's easy to get. I mean, everything, everything's easy access. Um, there's not really much of a struggle. And when, when there's a struggle though, who do we go to? We go to people. People are the greatest resource in the world that we can have. And, and so because there's not much of a struggle, I think that we often just turn towards that entertainment, the consumption of that. So I think really that if we work on the consumption of relationships, um, we'll find a healthier, uh, a healthier self-esteem. I think that's one of the biggest things, issues that we see in our society. So there's a lot of low self-esteem and that does stem from the consumption of things like social media and entertainment and so forth. Another part of consumption is, is, uh, with entertainment is like Netflix. We can, we can sit down and binge watch shows after shows after show. I mean, they just put out so many shows, right? Yeah. Amazon and Netflix and who, you know, all these other, um, when we were growing up, right, the, the show, our favorite show would come on once a week, right? And then, <laughs> and then likely it would be a rerun, you know, yeah, for like right. two weeks in a row. And so <laughs> we, we were bored. We were like, let's go outside and play or let's go do something. Let's call our friends. So yep, I've already um, seen this one. that kind of go. goes into it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but so, t so tell me how, I mean, I, I agree with you. Our society is a society of consumption. You know, we're, we're almost more takers than I think we are givers sometimes. But how does that yeah. consumption play into my relationship? How does that, how does that give me low self-esteem? Like, shouldn't I be able to watch Netflix and do all the other stuff? I mean, why do I feel less about myself? Or why is my relationship worse? Because I'm consuming. Yeah, so we have to consider what we are consuming. And what we're consuming often is fantasy. Um, we're, we're consuming a fantasy world that's all like it's it's outside of us. Like when I literally I was, I was sitting down and I'm and I'm guilty of this. I was I was watching a, a sci-fi Netflix series and I was just I was hooked on it. Right? Sharknado. And there was so much. <laughs> no, it was actually uh, what was it called <laughs> Colony or something like that. Okay. Yeah, and so so I'm. You know, so I'm I'm like hooked on this this sci-fi show and um, becoming kind of consumed by it and and it's there's a struggle and there's this like alternate reality and I'm like identifying with these characters and and I'm like what would I do in that situation and and then so we have the so I'm in that right and then when it's over it's done and we get to those points right where we're like I just got to get to just get to the end so I don't I can't so I don't watch this anymore like so I'm not yeah. distracted by it. And then when you get done and then you come back to reality and you're like, well, in fantasy world, it's like, there's this really big struggle and I'm fighting these aliens and I'm saving other people and these crazy things are happening. And I come back to the real world and now I got to go pull weeds in my front yard or get the oil change in my car, 
go to work and this, this, you know, so it's, it's just, it distracts us from, you know, it creates a false sense of reality and that, and we, we can take that into our relationships. We can dramatize the novelty and how romantic this was and how special the all things he does or she does and how, how he, he feels so significant or she feels so loved and, and, and we can think, portray that onto ourselves in our own, in our own lives and our own yeah. relationships. So I think that's where we, uh, the fantasy world is what can help uh, impact or, or, or hurt, not help, but hurt our relationships. So I'm, I'm hearing two things and I, I'm hearing one is it broadens the gap of where we are and maybe where we think we should be or could be, or these, all the images that we see like, Oh, I'm not there. I'm, I'm a failure because I don't have a nice car or a nice house or, you know, the, all of this stuff, right. Is, is the one thing. So it creates that gap that of course, then we feel worse about ourselves. The other thing is that it kind of can blend or blind our reality of what we should expect, or maybe even our behaviors. And as you talked, it reminded me of this story from my life where when I first moved to Arizona, uh, I was 21 years old and I didn't have a job. I was living in an apartment with a bunch of buddies and I literally sat, <laughs> I sat inside and I played Grand Theft Auto for probably a week straight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no big deal. You know, I'm a kid. I'm playing video games. You know, I'm looking for a job occasionally here and there. It's college life, but I had this real kind of awakening as I one day I decided to go grab some food, and I'm driving down the road and I see this biker on the side of the road, and I'm not kidding you, James. I had this this inclination <laughs> just to go, bink, you know, and 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 knock them off because that's all I had done for the past week is play Grand Theft Auto, and so. I think to that point, like this, all the all this consumption that you're talking about, all of this focus on other people's lives and all of these things that people have makes us change our behavior. And maybe we then, you know, we spend more than we should, or, you know, maybe we behave inappropriately with the opposite sex the way that we should, or, you know, maybe we're, we're kind of towing the line in some of the areas where, you know, maybe previously we shouldn't have, or, or we, we wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's very spot on, Jared. <clears throat> um, and you know, I didn't when you hit the biker. Like, just for the record, I didn't hit the cyclist. I, I, re I refrained. You, you did, right? You did, right? <laughs> I recognized. I was like, maybe that's not a good thing. And then maybe I shouldn't play Grand Theft Auto yeah. so much for <laughs> so much. <time>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could relate to similar those similar experiences too as well so, so where um, are where are relationships let you know let's let's actually go here let's say that man we're recognizing things are just off track um and my my wife and i we had an experience the beginning of last year where we we recognized a pattern where like clockwork we put the kids down for bed we lightly clean up the kitchen we'd watch netflix for way too long usually eating ice cream and then we would try to go to bed. And by the time we went to bed, it was way too late. And so sometimes we would then try to have like a conversation. But at that point, it was almost too fragmented because I was falling asleep or she was falling asleep. Or we would stay awake too late, even later than, you know, originally because we we're now trying to have that conversation. So let's say that we're just deep in this entrenched state where relationships kind of on the rocks, relationships are shaky. Our habits aren't the best what do couples do to start moving out of that? Yeah. So I think the first priority is that is individual themselves is that they have to, they have to get into um, their own personal self care for themselves because if the individual is not healthy or, or if both individuals aren't healthy or living healthy lifestyles, healthy patterns, healthy rituals. Then, then you're, you're just putting two unhealthy people in, in a relationship together that, creates even more conflict we already live in a world of conflict relationship is conflict and so we it's it just makes it more difficult so the first I, my recommendation of the first priority is you know what's your own personal self-care and this isn't about being selfish sometimes um people don't oh that's just selfish for me just to think of doing those things for myself and it's not, not i'm not saying you do that the whole entire day for yourself but there is there there needs to be some time for your for yourself i I kind of stole this, this slogan from some, I can't remember who it was, but it was win the morning, win the day. And so there's, 
there's four or five things I do every morning for myself that are just healthy patterns. And I, and I tell myself, Hey, as long as I get these things done, I've already won the day and whatever happens externally outside of me, you know, I can, I can still take notice that at the end of the day, I like to look back and say, I did things that were healthy behaviors for myself and in my relationships with others. And so uh, the first thing is what are, what is my self care with exercise um, with mental health, with my relationships, with my, uh, you know, with people, but also my spiritual relationship, whatever that may be. Um, what am I doing and taking time for myself to think and to feel and to slow down so I can experience and appreciate the life and the world around me? And when I'm in that place, then I can, can, I can enter into a relationship in a much better uh, place or situation for my partner. Um, I, and I see this a lot in, uh, when you know when I've when I've worked with uh, those that struggle with pornography and addictions and they get into hiding and lying, the very first thing that we're working with them on individually is their daily. We call them dailies. What are your daily habits? What are your daily yeah. things you're going to do yeah. that are are positive, empowering for you? That will because those are the things that that healthy people do. <laughs> it's not yeah. like you know you just you just got out of doing them. And and when healthy people are living, that's what they normally they normally do those types of things that which lead to the healthy relationships. So. Do you, do you give um, specifics of what those self-care things should be or do people just need to really find out what that would be for themselves or their, I mean, I imagine exercise is probably up there near the top of the list, like, right, do something for your health. Um, but what else, what are some other kind of go-to dailies that you give your, your clients? Yeah. Um, so typically, yeah, exercise uh, always has a, you know, is a fantastic one. Obviously the research shows that helps relieve, uh, eliminate stress or reduce stress, not eliminate, but it helps reduce stress, um, helps improve self-esteem and confidence and so forth. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of great tools that, that can be used. Um, I, I love meditation. I think meditation is a great tool to use, um, to help reduce, uh, anxiety or, or, or fear, you know, our fear-based emotions that we, we often have that, that cause us to unhealthy behaviors. Uh, but taking some time in meditation, I use an app called Headspace. It has 10 free sessions, and I just keep repeating them. 10 <laughs> minutes long. You know, I don't use it every day, but, you know, on the days where I feel like I need it, it helps me kind of calm myself. Um, positive affirmation. Reading good content. Reading good material. Things that help us learn and grow. Right? There's uh, And, Jared, you might know this a little bit better, but CEOs, I think the average CEO reads four books a month or something like that. Something like that. Um, yeah, a lot. And so, yeah, so – when they're getting to the, I mean, they're, they're obviously at a high, performing at a high level and, and they're the ones that are reading, like they're the ones that are going and saying, I need help. Uh, you know, I, I've, you know, working in organizations and corporations like CEOs, they go and they, they get personal development, they get coaching and they spend thousands of dollars and guess what? They get better. And what they really do is they get richer. Right. And I'm, yeah. I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about richer in their relationships, richer in their ability to give back and contribute to others. And, and the poor, they keep, you know, going towards entertainment, the things that don't really help them, help them grow. So um, anyway, so reading good books, exercising, uh, meditation, um, relationship building activities, you know, whether it's spending time with your kids um, or with your spouse or a loved one. Um, th those are great, some great things to, uh, to do. Be, be part of a group, you know, go join a group, you know, uh, that you can be face to face with, whether it's a, it's a sports league or it's a, it's a book club or something, go do something that also engages with peers, stay connected with humanity. That's one of the challenges is when we, when we stop doing that and we start isolating and we start being by ourselves, um, that those are very unhealthy, unhealthy behaviors. So those are all, you know, good, be part of a cause, you know, go join a service group. Those are all, I mean, those are all just great things to do. And, and I, I mean, we're still talking about consumption, right? But now the consumption is something that's going to help us, build us up, make us strong. You know, it's the, the uh, age old, you know, it's 80% diet, 20% exercise, right? That's the name of the game. And it's kind of the same with life in general. 80% diet, 20% really the activities and the exercise. But what are you filling yourself with? What are you spending your time doing? What is your 80%? Is 80% of what you do, is it, is it good? Is it wholesome? Is it helping you be better in some way? Is it strengthening your relationship? And then, you know, yeah, there's always going to be that 20%, you know, that, that can be other things. 
And it doesn't mean you can't ever have ice cream or whatever it is, but ultimately are we doing the things more often that are going to build us up, strengthen us versus those things that really have very little value, like, you know, Netflix or, you know, just playing video games or whatever it is. So, yeah. so, awesome. yeah. so first, first step is kind of create your own set of dailies for yourself, focusing on yourself. What's the next thing now, you know, we're, we're doing that. We're kind of in a better place. Habits are a little bit better, maybe not super solidified, but what's the next thing that we do to help improve our relationship? Yeah, I think, I think one of the greatest um, skills we can develop is empathy in our relationships um and and learning to pray. I, think, I think it's definitely a lost i you know i have most couples that are in here and they're like i mean i don't have any of them that say oh we're really good at that like we practice that a lot you know <laughs> and, and even for myself i didn't i didn't really understand how empathy works and and how to actually do that and i think it's something that we yearn from other people because empathy uh empathy is a bridge for human connection okay hmm. if i'm if if I'm being empathetic, it means I'm I'm taking pers your perspective. I'm putting myself in your shoes, understanding where you're coming from. I'm not inter I'm not in my own self. I'm not internalizing yeah. it. And this is where a lot of the issues and in, in, in fights or arguments come up from in couples is that we really can't see our partner. We can't really understand what they're going through. When they get upset, we internalize their their anger and their frustration and, and then and then we take we, we turn like them and say oh this is my fault i'm so bad and i'm and i'm literally turning away from my partner my mm. spouse that when when they're saying that their anger and frustration they're saying no i don't want you to turn away i want you to be present with me i want you to understand what i'm feeling and why i'm feeling and validate some of my emotions and some of my feelings and so as we but when we internalize it and we we take it in it also lends to more defensiveness like now I'm what well, no, you're, this is your fault. Like, well, you should have thought about that. First of all, this isn't my fault. Why are you getting upset with me? Yeah. And now I'm pushing back as I'm pushing. Guess what the other partner's doing? Starts pushing, pushing back. So now yeah. we're pushing against each other. Now we're not a partnership, you know, now we're fighting. Now we're like almost like competitors in, in who's right and who's wrong. And, and we have to recognize that every individual in this world is different. No one person's born with the same DNA. There, it's, it's, a lot of it's very similar, but we all have a little uniqueness to us. So we're not, we're not you know, what you say, apples or oranges. We're not all the same. We're, we're of a different cut. And so we have to honor and respect and appreciate when, when my spouse says she's sad, I don't say, hey, well, just choose to be happy. You know what? Just I, yeah. Doesn't work. Just stop. <laughs> stop being sad. Just choose to be happy, right? And, and but those are the messages, right? Yeah. And when when we talk about anger, it's like don't be angry because anger is of the devil, right? I mean that's those are the messages that we often hear, right? So we we say, oh, push down your emotions. I don't want to deal with that. Em empathy is the opposite. Empathy is about wow, this must be really difficult for you. I don't. And, and another part of empathy is we're not, we have to get out of trying to solve every, uh, everybody else's problems, yeah. you know, especially in our relationship. A, a lot of times they just want to give it a voice. They just want to know that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel sad and it's okay to be afraid at times. Yeah. I love that we're talking about this because there's a couple of things. One of my favorite books of all time is leadership and self-deception, which it makes mm. the primary point that you have to look at other people and recognize that, that their, their objectives, their challenges, their problems are equal in importance to your own. And when we don't think that way, we start to say, well, their problem is less important than my problems or their objectives are better than my objectives or worse than my objectives that's when we start to see that variance. And that's where I think a lack of empathy comes in where we just don't, you know, we, we think that they should, should just cowboy up or toughen up or push through it or whatever it is. And that's hard to do. And, um, and then the other side is trying to get away from that, like fix it mentality or the expert mentality of like, Oh, let me solve your problem. And you know, this morning I came in from mm -hmm. the, from my, my workout this morning, we we're, we're taking our kids to the My Little Pony movie. They're showing it in theaters. And so I walk in, I think, I think my wife's okay with me sharing this. I'll find out later. 
Um, <laughs> and, you know, I walk in the door and we're supposed to leave in about 45 minutes or so. And I can see visually that, that she's stressed. And she says, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to figure out if I'm, if I'm being, my expectations are too high or if, you know, like our kids are out of control kind of a thing. And it's probably a little bit of both. Our kids are a little out of control. Uh, but I, I so badly wanted to like throw in in that moment, like, well, what, what have they done all day? Or, you know, ask questions that, that would needle at a solution. And instead I just stopped and I said, what can I do to help? What can I do to, to help us? Yeah. And so, and honestly, her answer was take the dog out, which is not a solution that I would have picked to, to help or support. But for her in that moment, that's what she needed. and so. We were all able to relax. I took the dog out. We got to the movie just fine. We all had a great time. Um, and so I, I recognize how, you know, for one, not empathetic with people. And number two, we're, we're too quick to insert ourselves into the solution instead of just taking a step back and saying, hey, this looks like it's frustrating for you, challenging for you. How can I help? Um, and getting, getting kind of on that same, same level playing field. Yeah, you hit it. You hit it right on the head. Like when when we go into problem solving, we're we're almost what we're implying to them is that they're doing it wrong and that they're not good enough. And and you probably can't do this yourself. Kind of messaging, and 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 in problem solving too, we we have this this illusion that we know what's best for them. Like like you said, like she asked me to take off the dog, and I I never would have thought of that. There's yeah. so many times when I have couples coming in here where the husband's like trying to problem solve and he's like, I, you know, I got, I got rid of my shirt or I got, I, I stopped listening to this music or I, you know, I, whatever they, they're trying to do all these things. And I said, Hey, did you ever stop to ask her what she needs right now? Oof. Uh, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, um, what, and, and, and part of that too, what we have to understand, there's a lot of implied messaging we have a lot of messaging that that occurs constantly in our relationships remember we're always in a kind of it's a lot of times it's in conflict okay so we have personal messaging self-messaging we have family messaging and we have um, social messaging or societal messaging right and so we have a lot of implied messages that are occurring when i'm trying to fix you or fix that problem one i could be saying hey uh you really can't do this on your own or B, I could be saying, I don't really want to deal with your problems. So let's just get this <laughs> fixed so we can move forward and I can go do what I want to do right now. Right? Yeah. And, and that's part of the, I think, we talked about the leadership and self-deception piece is let's just move forward. So many times couples, especially betrayal trauma, when let's say that, let's, for example, I mean, it can happen with both parties, but say the husband... Uh, has an addiction or commits an affair and it's now it's been some time it's been a year i haven't done anything or it's been six months like let's move forward i like and she's still and the other spouse is still in pain they're still suffering right and and they're not ready to move forward because that usually the other spouse hasn't been empathetic enough and accountable enough to their actions to acknowledge it so the other party stays in, in a place of fear and concern like what if they do this again i don't think they understand yeah. yet and the other spouse is like, this is too painful for me. I, I feel like you're, I'm always wrong and I'm, I'm bad. So just get over it. I mean, I haven't done anything. And they start feeling resentment towards their spouse for being still feeling hurt. And they have to learn to always stay in a place of empathy and accountability and, and not internalize it. It's really about their spouse is just is hurt and in pain. Yeah. It's not like that you're a horrible person right now. Of course not. You, you've, you've made changes and that's good for you but your spouse still has pain and let's just be present for that. Acknowledge that. And that's okay. It's okay. That, of course you would feel scared. Of course you would be in pain right now. And this would come up for you. And it's because of these things I've done in, in the past. So being em empathetic and understanding, um, it can happen in the littlest forms. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, it's nothing that we did. It's just an experience they had with a friend or a coworker um, or with the kids and so if we can be emotionally present for them. And, and so here's the other part. We talk about um, time is love, and it truly is. When we give time to our relationship, it shows it's an act of love. Absolutely. Um, but we can be with our spouse and not be with them. I was, was going to say, room. let's define that for this group. because <laughs> Yeah. 
Talk to us about what that should look like if it's going to count as time. Yeah. So let me give it a new word. Uh, you know, time is love. I say presence is love. Okay. When I'm giving my presence to my spouse and I'm, and again, Dr. Gottman does a lot of, he talks about, you know, relationships when they start turning away from, when they're healthy, they learn to turn towards each other as opposed to turning away and getting angry and avoiding. Yeah. Uh, they learn to turn towards each other. So, um, you know, inst- you know, instead of me, uh, turning away from them, I'm trying to turn towards my spouse and be pre- So I'm, I'm making eye contact. These are implied messages. I'm making eye contact. I'm smiling with them. I'm giving them physical touch and I'm holding them right. Physical touch is so essential. Sometimes we get like, uh, don't want to touch. Right. Um, but physical touch is so healthy, so healthy for us. Um, we do movement with them, whether we go out and exercise with them or we go play a game or we, you know, we eat together, we have presence and presence is again, just because we're in the same environment doesn't mean we're really present for them, but, but being eye to eye and knee to knee, so to say with them. And, and we're putting down our phone, right? Simon saying did a good uh, video. Did you see that about his whole, like, if I have a phone in my hand and I'm talking, what am I saying is most important? I'm really saying it's my phone. It's not you. So, so presence, you know, putting away the electronics. I, I, so when I watched that video, I was like, I'm going to, when I was planning on going to dinner with my wife, that we, my wife and I, we, we schedule one night a week that we go to dinner, we go do something together for, for our time. And, and so I'm now here, I'm trying to work on my presence. And so I'm like, I'm going to leave my phone. I'm not going to tell her this. I'm just gonna leave my phone in my car and I'm not going to bring it in to the restaurant with us. And we, we get into the restaurant we sit down, we're waiting for my food. I stick my hand in my pocket. And I'm like, uh, there's my phone. <laughs> you know? And just, I, I, I could, my, my whole ritual, my, my mind is like, I'm taking my phone with yeah. me. And I'm like, and I tell my wife, almost like an addict. I'm like, Hey, I'm like, sweetie, I had a goal not to bring my phone in, uh, in the restaurant. I did. It's in my pocket right now, but I'm not going to pull it out or, or do anything with it. You know, I'm like confessing to her, even though wow. she had no idea that was my goal. I'm like, Leonard, Hey, I'm not going to do that because I want to be present uh, for you in our, in our dinner, but I still felt it there. And it, and it is somewhat of a distraction, whether it buzzes, something goes off. Um, so, you know, well, I think- if the audience is listening or anyone out there, go ahead. The challenge is how can I be more present uh, yeah. for my spouse? And what are the little things I can do that can show that presence? There's so many things there. I mean, I, early on in our marriage, we recognized that when we would have a disagreement, then we would do the cold shoulder thing and we would eat up, you know, sometimes a couple of days where we were just, you know, you would coexist, but you wouldn't actually interact. And yeah. I, don't know, I don't know why yeah. we figured that out like pretty early on, but we recognized that, man, we're just wasting a ton of time. And so we actually instituted a, a hug rule where basically like when we were in that cold shoulder time, one of us had to go to the other and give them a hug. Cause you're, you're exactly right. When you have that physical touch, it's hard to still be mad. It's hard to be, to, to be thinking angrily about him. You have no choice, but to just be like, man, you know what? Like, I love you. I love you. It's been, you know, I married you and it's, it's, it's just us. And then you can work through it in a more human, human way, I think. Um, so I, I love that. And, and even just the amount of things that fragment our attention from our relationships, whether it be our kids, whether it be our spouse, man, just putting the phones away, just looking at them and asking questions and being curious and interested goes such a long way. And we are, you know, we, we do a pretty good job of only one of us taking our phone in when we, you know, we'll go out on a date. We have a rule with our family where our kids, they're allowed to say jinx if both of us are on the phone at the same time. And then we have to put it down for 30 minutes so that we're mm-hmm. not, we're not on our phones. And here's the sad thing with as much attention as we put on keeping our phones and our devices away and letting it not be the center of attention. When I ask my six year old, Hey, what's the hardest thing about being a kid? They say, seeing you guys on your phones all the time. Uh, and yes. I'm like, we're not yeah. even on our phones that much comparatively, right? If we're playing the comparison game, we're not even on them as much as we know other parents are and we know other people are that go out. 
And yet that's what our kids still see and still struggle with. And our two-year-old still, if, if our phone is on the other side of the room because we left it there on purpose, he'll find it and bring it over to us. And so just yeah. as, as good as we think we are, we still got a ton of work to do. We still got to do even better and distance ourselves from it even more because we don't want our kids being like, man, I just can't wait until I get a phone. And then who knows how they build a relationship around, you know, that, that type of a, a device. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that a lot too. My kids are, have constantly made comments uh, and this is why I'm trying to make more of an effort with, with my being off of my phone and being more engaged. You know, the, the comments about you're always on your phone. Like, why are you always on your phone? Dad's always, and then they start communicating that outwardly. And I'm like, oh, I don't want people to think I'm a bad parent, right? Internally, right? That's what comes up first. Um, but really, I do owe it to my kids to have a great relationship because when I'm away from them, I miss them like heck. And yeah. I want to spend time with them. And so my two-year-old, yeah, my, I remember she, she does the same thing. She brings me, when she finds our phone, she brings it to me. <laughs> and I'm like, this must be sending the message to her that I have to live with this. Or I, I can't live without this, yeah. this tool in my I life. Like, room. And so here, I'm dad, you want some water? Do you want to survive? <laughs> Here's your water, dad. Yeah. You need it. <laughs> like, kind of deal. Um, even for myself, I, I put an app on my phone. It's called Moments. And it actually yep. tracks how, how long on the phone I am on a day and how many times I pick it up and it can tell me all the other, like which sources I go to or when I'm on my phone. But yeah, it was like, it was three to four hours a day, picking it up 75 to 85 times a day. Yeah. And, and I, and I didn't think, you know, I'm like, I don't think I'm on it as much as some, but you know, I, so I have to, I have to be mindful of that and, and put new rituals in my life to make sure I'm, I'm more present for my wife and for my children, wow. not so much to the technology of the phone. So, well, I mean, I think, you know, when we think about the relationships that we have in our lives that we would say are most important, and then we use an app or something like that where we say, wow, I spent four hours on my phone or five hours on my phone. And I think the average is four hours on devices and three hours on uh, screens. So television, mm -hmm. you know, Netflix, whatever it might be. So you figure seven hours a day, like how much of that time, how much time are we spending in comparison with, with those that we love really sitting down? Like, I know sometimes it's hard to like read a story to my kids at night and, I'm, and in my mind, I'm like, that's going to take at least another eight minutes. <laughs> like I'm trying to get you to bed as quick as I can. I don't have eight more minutes to spend reading your story. You know, but, but, but we try, yeah. to, we try to remind ourselves that we're going to then go downstairs and we're probably going to watch TV or we're probably going to watch a show and, and recognizing that, wow, we've got to make sure and really spend that time with the kids in a way that helps them know that they're most important. And same thing with my wife, got to spend enough time that she knows she's most important. So I, I'm, I know we have, <laughs> we only have a few more minutes left for today and we haven't even got into like, man, how do people do all of that and juggle a career and business, et cetera. So I'm just, I'm, Defining this right now is part one. We'll have you back on again and definitely do do part two. But any other just last yeah. tips kind of in that that are in line with what we've already talked about? Yeah, going back to the empathy part, there are a couple of things I just want to add to that is one is it, it's it's so important when we're in a place of empathy to remember back when we made mistakes that were similar to what maybe our spouse has done and how we felt when we made a mistake. Um, or even for parents to kids, remember, do you remember what it was like when you were 16 and you, and you caused havoc or did some dumb stuff? And, and remember what that felt like. And, just, and I'll tell you what, man, especially with kids, teens love to hear their parents' stories. We fail as parents about telling our kids stories about our lives. I, when I hear stories about my dad or my parents, I'm like, I still remember them. I love them. Like, yeah. oh, that was cool. And I, and I tell other people. Um, storytelling and understanding our, uh, and this is kind of side tangent, storytelling and, and, and knowing our, our, our parents, our grandparents and so forth, uh, research shows it builds resiliency uh, to when, when we have challenges and so forth. But we, we love to hear the stories of our parents. But if we can relate and be more relatable to our spouses and share our story or our experiences too, what, what that's like, and I can, I can see why and, and go to that place with them. Um, we, we find that we have a lot more in common with each other 
uh, than we realize when in our own mistakes, you know, in their mistakes are some of our mistakes. And then when we go to that place, we can have more compassion. Um, and so that's a, that's a healthy tool to go to in empathy when your when your spouse made a mistake or your kids make a mistake. Just remember that you do too, and the story, the examples of what what you've lived in your own life. Um, and the last thing is, uh, give yourself and those around you some grace. Uh, you know, be kind, be understanding. You know, we we make mistakes. It's it's okay. You know, it happens. You know, and yes, it hurts and it might suck. But give each other some grace. Give yourself some self-compassion when you do make mistakes. Um, don't beat yourself up too much. Just and now we take it from a learning phase. What 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 I do if I were to replay this? What would I do differently? And that's what I'll do next time. But sometimes we just beat ourselves up so badly that we can't see what what change might look like, or we can't see or feel like we might even are capable of being loved by somebody else because of the mistake we made. But give yourself some grace. Give grace to the other person uh, across from you, uh, and that will help lend to more uh, of a empathetic responses and and connection, and emotional relation, relational connection yeah. between you and others. The other side of you know putting yourself above other people is putting yourself below others, right? And so don't want to mm -hmm. do that. We want to make sure that we're all in the same race. We're all on the same journey. We're all trying to figure it out, do our very best. We've all got weaknesses. We've all got strengths. Uh, and so, man, just I've come across, and, and I know you have, people that just are beating themselves up who, quite honestly, aren't trying to do things because they don't believe that they can. But when they actually go out and try, they're surprised that, wow, they not only do it, but they do it well. So it really is just a matter of, trying to recognize we're all in the same journey. We're all on the same path. We're all capable of so much more than what we are currently doing. And so recognizing that and following those steps, trying to get to that next level. Awesome stuff today, James. I know you've got a client coming up, so we're going to let you run, but thank you so much for your time today. Like I said, this is part one. So we'll definitely have you on maybe again in the next couple of weeks and uh, we'll finish this conversation and talk about how it relates to people in their careers. How do they juggle it all um, successfully? Perfect. So, love it, James. Thanks so much. Sounds Appreciate great. it. We'll Thanks, talk Jared. We'll you uh, next time. Okay. Have a good right, one. James. See ya. All right, bye. Man, so many good things there. I love the last part that he shared about really being vulnerable with our, our kids and our spouses. And it, I just actually got back from working with a client in Minnesota where we talked about psychological safety which psychological safety in the work environment essentially is that you feel confident enough that you're able to share your honest opinion, whether it be, you know, a new idea or uh, a, a problem that you're having with something or maybe a mistake that you made, but having that environment where you feel confident enough to share those things and confident that there won't be a negative repercussion, whether, you know, from the business standpoint, but also from a social standpoint. And we talked about how one of the primary ways that leaders create psychological safety in the workplace is through their own vulnerability. First, we recognize that we've made mistakes. No matter who you are, where you're at, you didn't get there mistake-free, right? We got there learning along the way, making mistakes, fumbling through things, and most likely we had at least one person, if not multiple people, that gave us second chances, who gave us another try, who helped us get to that next level, whatever it might be, so that we could learn and develop and grow. And so as a leader, as a parent, creating that psychological safety for those around you really requires you to be open, be open about your own mistakes. Uh, I've, we've shared, we've, we do this with our kids and we've shared our own mistakes. And <laughs> there's a story that I had where I was working with a client and I had them on the phone and I knocked over my drink and the drink went everywhere on my desk. And I, I didn't mute my phone before I said, oh, I can't believe I just dropped my drink. And uh, my client was like, wait, what, what just happened? And I explained it. Not a huge thing. Client was totally fine. But my daughter brings that story up all the time. We'll just be sitting there on you know, a random night and she'll be like, dad, Remember when you were on the phone with a client and you knocked your drink over and you were like, oh my goodness, I knocked my drink over. 
and she loves that story. And she remembers it because I shared it with her at a time when she spilled. And now, whenever our other kids spill, my daughter, McKay, will share her story of spilling stuff as well as my story of spilling stuff. So, uh, which kind of hurts a little bit sometimes to relive that over and over and over. But I think that's the reality of what vulnerability does is it, it opens people up to feel comfortable enough to share and to be open. So we want to create psychological safety, especially in our workplace, especially in our homes, where people feel like they can just come to us and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And so, again, vulnerability is a big part of that. Another way that leaders do that is that they frame things as learning experiences. They frame things as, as opportunities to learn versus did you execute? Did you do it perfectly or did you do it wrong? What did you learn? What did you try? Um, if you had the chance to do it again, what would you do differently? So framing the work, whatever it is, as a learning opportunity. And then another way, one of the last ways that I'll share today is um, that we just, are, as leaders, have to be curious. So as parents, we've got to be curious. We have to ask questions about what's going on in the lives of people and ask specific questions. Things like, hey, what are you struggling with right now? Or, hey, what are you most excited about? Or if there's one thing that you could do, what would it be? And really drawing out some of the difficulties or some of the feelings and emotions that people have. And that gives us, as, as James kind of pointed out, it gives us an opportunity to, to position ourselves and, and to give empathy to other people. We also see more from their perspective. So when we then go to the drawing board and say, you know, hey, we want to find a solution, we now have input that matters. And that input then can lead to a solution that comes with buy-in. Like my wife asked me this morning to take the dog out. I would have never said, I'm going to take the dog out. And that will help this entire situation of getting our family out, out, uh, out the door on time. So an amazing uh, interview with James. We'll definitely have him on again in the next couple of weeks. We'll wrap this, uh, this up and do part two with James Simpson, marriage and family therapist. Um, but, uh, if you have not joined our group on Facebook yet, uh, it's called own your business. It's for executives, business owners, entrepreneurs who are, you know, looking to, to connect with others and really excel in all areas of life. So don't wait, think about the relationships in your life. Um, and think of what really truly is more important than those. And my guess is that there's probably not much. And so let's, Let's all together collectively identify where can we spend more time, more quality time, as James shared, with those that we love, those that we care about most, and how can we take you know, our, our relationships to new heights. So thanks for watching today. Thanks for sharing. If you love this video, please share it with those that you uh, care about and appreciate. Um, like it send a comment. If there's anything I can do to help you or James can help you, we didn't really ask him how to connect with him, but um, join us in our group. He's a, he's a member there as well. And uh, we'll, we'll tag him and, and link uh, some stuff up as well. So until next time, everyone get out there, own your business, and uh, we'll see you next time.